You're listening to World Building for Masochists. And we're wondering why we do this to ourselves. I needed some way to direct my random shower thoughts anyways. I'm MJ Kuhn. I'm Marshall Ryan Moreska. I'm Cass Morris. I'm Rowena Miller, and this is episode 106, Lighten Up, Making Your World a Little Grin Dark. I appreciate that you threw yourself on the grenade of saying that pun, even though it was completely my fault. I was delighted by the pun. You could have made me take ownership of that pun. You dragged them into the group chat like a cat with a mouse. I absolutely did. And dropped it for us. Oh my God. And then you ran with it. I I accepted it. Well, listeners, welcome back for another episode of the podcast, and we are so excited to have another new guest joining us today. MJ Kuhn is going to join us to talk about world building, craft, um, bringing a little levity and humor into even the bleakest worlds. Um, But before we get going, would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you and your work? Sure. So, hi. I'm MJ Kuhn. <laughs> um, so I am a fantasy writer. I'm from the Detroit area. So I have one book out right now. It is, well, actually, at the time of airing, I don't know how many I'll have out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I have either one or two books out. <laughs> so Among Thieves is the first book in my um, fantasy heist duology. Um, I say it's like, um, you know, it's kind of Six of Crowsy. It's very inspired by Lies of Locke Lamora. Um, Six thieves team up to steal a magical artifact, but every member of the heist team is planning to screw over everybody else. Um, so very fun, very twisty. And the book, the second book that's coming out or has come out <laughs> is um, Thick as Thieves, which is the sequel um, to that book. So that is, you know, the, the gist there. I also, um, I do have a, a podcast as well. Um, so SFF Addicts, I co-host with Adrian M. Gibson, um, and we we also interview people. So it's like podcast friends, talking with <laughs> podcast friends today. So I'm really excited. <laughs> it's important that we all lift each other up and support each other. <laughs> right? Well, so I'm like, I figure like everyone listens to more than one podcast. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, if you listen to what the, yeah. to this you know, to our show, they'll love this show. You know what I mean? So exactly. we'll just all share the love. It, it's like potato if it chips. Helps, you can't have just one. Exactly. If it helps your Schrodinger's author situation, this episode should be airing on July 5th. Okay, perfect. So. I have one book out right now. <laughs> Excellent. There we go. You will soon. I will soon have, have two, two books, books out. out. Yes. What, when will that second one be coming yeah, out? July 25th. So it's coming There you up. go. Yeah. There you go. All right. Excellent. So Yay. That gives, that gives you listeners more time to go ahead and pre-order and make future reading you happy. Yes. Right. And it's a it's a completed series. So you won't get stuck on cliffhangers if you read book two. It's all wrapped up. You so. have time to order there book one, read it, and then get book two right. it. Yeah. As, book soon two. As, as, as soon as it's ready. So that's, exactly. And, that's, and it'll timing. be done. Complete <laughs> <Perfect>. series. <laughs> Exactly. See, that was smart. Do a series that's only two books. I should have been that smart, but oh well. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it happens. <laughs> Marshall made different choices <laughs> as a creator. I And committed I, to them, I mean, so, you know. I mean, I, I did, you know, point to the stands and actually, you know, hit over them, but still. <laughs> <laughs> Probably could have made smarter choices if, <laughs> if nothing else. Everyone loves a long series. <laughs> we do. It's true. No, but these books sound amazing, and they sound like I, I feel like fantasy and heists and fun characters. Like it sounds like a great summer read for like just escape for a while, have some have some enjoyable fun in a fantasy world with people doing diabolical things to each other. Yes. Good well, times. Yeah, when I designed it to be like a binge read, right? Like it's meant to be just like, it's not real dense and there's not, I mean, 
<laughs> not like, oh, there's not a lot to it. <laughs> but like, it's meant to just be fun. Like, my goal is to make you laugh and enjoy yourself with the book. Um, so yeah, if you're looking for something uh, light, but in a dark world, which comes back to, I'm so excited to talk about that with you guys. <laughs> um, that will be the vibes for your for your your summer beach read. <laughs> Sounds perfect. Speaking of. A dark world. What kinds of elements of world building like do you enjoy? Like what do you geek out about when it comes to world building? Yeah, I love world building. I am so stoked about it's my favorite part of the process. Like honestly, it's where it's where it's like a fun sandbox where you get to just like put all the elements in. You haven't started writing the book yet, so like nothing is broken and terrible yet. Like it always gets when you start drafting. I like how that could apply either to like the plot and things getting broken or or the writer. Like nothing's broken yet. You're still fine. Exactly. You're still You're just enjoying yourself. I'm just having fun and playing and haven't ruined myself yet. By, yes. By having exactly. to do something stupid like write a book. Like actually, yeah, put the plot together and all the character arcs. I've just yeah. been having fun imagining, you know. Fun yes, classes. It really is. Work and yup, yeah. So that is always. I, so I, I love all of it. I think that's one of my favorite parts. Are I like making like religions or cultural structures. So like religions are like honestly where I start a lot of the time because I think um, e- even if it's like an absence of religion, almost right. Like it, that's going to inform so much of how the society forms around it how much of the culture happens are there multiple religions like that will inform stuff right or is it kind of more homogenous is everyone kind of uh you know forced into the same religion um so that's a really fun place for me to start um and then also just like kind of watching how the world informs like everything else about the story because like the characters are products of their world right and then the plot is a product of the characters so yeah, I just feel like that's, it's just all fun. It's all fun. <laughs> what is one of your favorite little details or facets that you were able to include in the world that you built? So this is like, it's like a deep cut for <laughs> Among Thieves because like a literally like no reader has pointed it out. And maybe it's, I don't know. I, so I decided that the the city that things take place in, uh, it's called Kerouac. Um, and I like set it in a place where the climate is just so and it's like positioned along a body of water just so and all this stuff. And I learned that flax grows really well in that environment. And so I was like, OK, well, what is flax used for? Flax is used to make lace. Um, and so I literally like watched YouTube tutorials and like did all this stuff and like learned how to make lace. <laughs> purely so that I could like name stuff in the city things that would make sense for a city that's main export is lace um so <laughs> this delights me I love this surprising no one so this much <laughs> this is why I knew world building for masochists was the right show for me to chat with cause <laughs> 100% 100% yeah, so that's that's the if you're looking, you can notice it's like the bobbin fort, the hackle cells, all these things are parts of of equipment that you'll use to make lace. So <laughs> enjoy that little Easter egg hunt, I guess. <laughs> but see, I I always feel it is those those smart little details are are the things that make a world feel lived in and correct. That like you don't have to you don't have to like take the reader's hand and say like look what I did here look what I did here you just have that and they'll they'll just sense that there's more depth to everything just because you have those little details I love it I love it so much that's what I always hope and I figure like at worst if the readers never pick up on the depth and the details and whatever like for me as a writer it makes it feel more like a real place to me which like. I feel like for me is more important, like while I'm writing it, like now I can like actually sink into the streets and I feel like I'm there and I'm like just transcribing a movie as I'm writing it. Right. So um, even if, you know, no reader ever notices it, it's fun for me. So <laughs> that, that internal consistency is so important, though, like for for feeling comfortable in writing the world. Like there are things that you have to know that no one else ever needs to know, but like it makes it easier like you said to even like navigate these imaginary streets and alleys and how would people think about this you know you have those answers kind of already percolating if not answered by having all those things 
Yeah, right? Also, like, I think also like committing to the world. Like if it's like a fairy tale world where things don't make that much sense and there's not really a world outside like the palace and things like that, it's like I have trouble committing to it, whether it's something yeah. I'm, I'm reading or something I'm writing, whatever. It's like there's not enough there to, to dig into and, and to give me some traction on the plot elements that I want to have. And this is why I do things like watch Disney movies and try to figure out like, okay, but when really is this set? Yeah. Where, where is this actually? To, Little Mermaid does like does makes no sense whatsoever. Like, the, <laughs> the, the cues are they're all, they're all all the visual cues are confusing. It could be like in a hundred year span in like four different places. Doesn't make any sense at all, and it bothers it me. It bothers you. Well, a fun fact for Disney: it, fun is very much the wrong word uh, for Disney World building. <laughs> uh, it goes back to being grim here. Beauty and the Beast is set before they guillotined all the nobles, so all the people I so know, right? Belle's getting guillotined. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> Can't unknow that. Like, when I figured that part out, it was like, wait a minute, like, yeah. 15 years from now, shit's going to go like, down may- here. Oh, maybe, boy. you know, she, she, she's pretty learned, so maybe she, like, escapes to England or something. Let's hope. Let's maybe. She was that our, expat. This is our little headcanon, yeah. Yeah. I, like, yeah. literally or- read that and was like, my childhood, no. <laughs> you know, maybe maybe there's a way to, like, re... Maybe there's, like, a way to, like, re- reverse engineer the spell and they go back to all just being, like, objects. And he's just, right. like, or, like, hidden. Yeah. Just to hide. Yeah, kind of, like, they're just still there and everyone's like, that's a weird castle full of random crap. Right? Full of random abandoned stuff. It's just... I like that. <laughs> or, like, even, even more blatantly, um, Tiana, New Orleans, 1920s. Hey, guess what's right around the corner? Oh my gosh, like, yeah. Good luck with your restaurant, honey. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Oh, so Disney. Always, Disney, right? I always in the did gut. appreciate in um in in Tiana and Princess and the Frog that they have had this like nice little World War One illusion in there though. I was like, oh that's They do slip that they, in. They, they are like it is in fact building, but, the real world, real world yeah. sort of in that yeah. way. Yeah. But yeah. The real world with yeah. talking animals and, and, and <laughs> Yeah, the real magic, world. What right? are you talking about? Right. <laughs> You're saying that there are not talking animals and magic in the real world? That no, that's every experience I've ever had visiting New Orleans. It's 100% accurate. <laughs> Flawless. Do not shake a poor sinner's hand. Don't, like, right? just don't. don't do like, it. don't. Bad advice. <laughs> so, transitioning from Disney to talking about anything else, actually. But but Disney is a is a great example of light and dark at the same time, you know? Yeah, yes. right? Yes. One of the things I've thought about a lot since we had Mary Robinette on and we're talking about aesthetic is that there's all these different ranges of aesthetic that we have within our worlds and world building and storytelling. And like, I do feel like light and dark is one of those ranges that you play on, you know, like, like most words works aren't entirely one or the other. There's like, there's play on that scale somewhere. Um, And like, I feel like fantasy in many ways, the way that we label a lot of fantasy relies on that particular range. Yeah. for better or for worse, that's one right. of the things that we tend to, to play on when we're trying to describe our work and situating our work. Um, out of curiosity, um, for any and all who want to answer, where do you feel like your own work falls along that range? I'll kick off. Um, yeah, so I feel like <laughs> I feel like it it's it is on the darker side, but if you have a dark sense of humor, <laughs> it it's still fun. <laughs> But yeah, it's it's definitely not. I'm not writing cozy fantasy, right? Like, there's it's not, it's not cozy. It's not the Stardew Valley of of fantasy novels. No. Yeah, I I would have once described myself as like I don't know, sort of middle of the road because it's epic fantasy. So there's elements of of both, and and I think of myself as an optimist. And then the first time that I I had like a bookbub deal, and so I, I started doing numbers on the Amazon charts for a very brief period of time. And one of the places I was ranking really high in was dark fantasy. <laughs> And I was like, wait a minute, this isn't, I didn't write dark fantasy. (laughs) And one of my friends was like, um, Cass, here are the things in this book. (laughs) It's like, here's the children you murdered, and here's the evil ghosts, and all these are the things. And I was like, okay. Like, all right. I guess I see your point. I accept it. I see your point. I see it. I see that. Okay, fine. Sure. (laughs) But at the same time, you're right, Cass, and it doesn't lean hard into, like, the the feeling of darkness like it doesn't it doesn't lean into that like yeah i feel like fantasy gets a little more wiggle room with that too though right because if you have a contemporary novel and 10 people die in a contemporary novel like probably that novel (laughs) is dark as shit 
if you have a, 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 a fantasy, fantasy novel, novel like, eh. it's like, eh. ten people die. If you have a contemporary <laughs> novel where your where your protagonist kills ten people, right? Exactly. Like, oh my god, this is like, like a you know, no, a that's Ted just a lot Bundy of murder story, right? Yeah. But, but then if your in fantasy, fantasy protagonist is just you know, <laughs> you just have just to doing just, what they had to do. It's just. <laughs> You can just go full murder hobo. It was just a hard winter. (laughs) (laughs) But to me, it's also about, like, it's not even about the events that happen. It's also, like, if there's an overall message of, like, is the darkness escapable? Yes. Or is it something you, like, is it something you can overcome? And I do feel like I come down on that side of things. Like, my my people are always striving to be better and, and to make a better world. And it's hard. But... It's not impossible. They're they're gonna get there by you know step by step, um, and so that's why I'm all, I'm still always like I don't know. Is it that dark really? Even with the dead children, like <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Well, that's, I feel like the world can be dark, yeah, but the story can lighten it, which is you know what we're chatting about today. So exactly, I love that. Because you're right, and the people who live in it can have they can have a fun time. While they're while they're dealing with with whatever dark shit they're dealing with, like you know. right. gallows humor is a thing. Is damn right? it, very much is. You've got your events, but you've also got how you treat the events. You have how the characters think about the events. You have the attitude of the characters cast, like you're saying, is it overcomable? You have how you, as a writer, engage with these events. You know, are you are you taking a more tragic tone, or is this just kind of like this blasé? Like, of course, everyone does all the time. Like, there's all kinds of different angles to light and dark that doesn't make it just like one or the other like it's not yeah there are shades of shades of darkness and <laughs> that we play with marshall rowena <laughs> dark light yeah, scale. i was gonna say we're waiting on two answers yeah. I, I mean i definitely feel like i i hit that same place as mj does where it's where well- and you've got the different sub-series that i think do have their own modulations like they're all in the same world <laughs> But the storytelling has slight variations in that flavor of, of right. dark and light. Because yeah, I mean, because like my heist books definitely definitely go darker because they are a lot more murdery than the one where my main character is explicitly a pacifist. Yes, there's 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 the murdery scale and then the darkness scale. <laughs> See, do, I they, think, do they come together or not? I mean, you have the the, the murdery axis, you have the darkness axis, and then you have the the levity axis, and you know you. You need to track your where where you are in those three coordinates and do the math, and <laughs> then you know what. Oh, there's math involved now too. Yeah, I'm sorry, I can't no. answer this question. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I'm not. I I feel like I I veer more light than dark, but there's still there's there's still plenty of awful things happening to people, and I do feel like like some people may have hit fairy bargains expecting it to be cozier than it ended up being. I mean, there's. <laughs> There's a magically deboned chicken within the first 70 pages. Just heads up, you know. Well, there you go. See, that just strikes me as handy. I was going to say, I really am just fascinated by that. Yeah. Because, yeah, then you don't have to do the deboning. I mean. Right. Well, but, you know. If anything, it's less grisly, right? Yeah. <laughs> if it hasn't been plucked first, man. Oh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> See, I just assume anything with the Fae is going to lean darker, that's but that's because I have yeah. I have older medieval views uh, yes. of the Fae. <laughs> the Fae yeah. Yes, very tricksy. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, in yeah, the days before the Fae own... were sexy. <laughs> yes, I, I always think of um, my Renaissance and early, you know, what modern lit professor talking about how like just imagining people walking home from seeing a Midsummer Night's Dream, like. Just creeped out. Just like, <laughs> like, I want to get home and shut the door. Be anywhere. Like, be anywhere. Because you know? like, we think it's like, oh, it's lighthearted. It's fairies. It's great. Like, no, they're like. <laughs> like, when you think about what those fairies do to people in that play, yes. without caring, even slightly. Right. Like, no. no. There's no ethical consideration at all. Zero fucks given. <laughs> no Zero, empathy. Well, actually, lots of fucks given. Lots of those, but, but, but not. Lots of those. But, um. <laughs> No ethics or empathy whatsoever. No. It's like, that's horror. That's a horror story. <laughs> I'm now really wanting to see a production of Midsummer's that, that just leans hard into. <laughs> into oh, that like is like the horror. Oh, like, God, I would love to do that. 
horror yeah, retelling. The, yes. So, the kind of. If we shadows have offended, think but this, and all is mended. <laughs> <laughs> and now all of us have nightmares. <laughs> but yeah, that's funny because the exact same story you stage it a little differently, and it gets dark fast. Yeah. But still funny because. <laughs> You know, someone has a donkey's head, so. Unless you, <laughs> again, go full body horror with that. That's true. You could go full body Super horror Super true. Damn, now I have to do theater again. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I miss doing Shakespeare. I do, too. I do, too. So when we think about that light, dark continuum, how much of that do you feel is world building? Or how much can world building play into making a piece lighter or darker. Yeah, I think I think world building is a big part of it personally. So like I was thinking about it a lot where it's like for me what makes the world dark, not necessarily the story because you can have a very light story in a very dark world. Um and honestly vice versa. To me I think one of the elements at least is how f- far the society is in that world from what is like morally acceptable in our society so like i'm thinking like first law right one of our beloved characters galacta literally a torturer a state-sanctioned torturer and like everybody knows to torture all these house of questions are just gonna get tortured right and that's just a thing i think that is an element that makes the world darker that torture is just like a thing that just happens and it's a well you know um or like a song of ice and fire even like child marriage abound <laughs> right and and acceptable in that world and i think that's an element yeah. that makes that world totally normalized. a little darker right because it, it to us as the reader who aren't in that society i mean it, sh- it should make it darker obviously i'm not <laughs> but you know it's it's <laughs> but i think that's that's an element of it for for the world and again you can set whatever story you like in a dark world so like okay uh, in a, the world of among thieves um the magic system is that anyone who is born able to perform magic is stolen away as an infant and then raised and brainwashed on an island and then sold off to the highest bidder. And so all anyone that's magical is just like magical watchdogs and magical, uh, you know, pit fighting dogs. It's terrible. That's dark as shit, right? Yeah, it's not fluffy. It's not, right? And it's not it's not a, a happy world that we would it's not something we would accept, right? In our in our society. And I think that's something that makes the world very dark. And when I was writing the story, then I needed to make sure that I did a lot of work to balance that darkness so that it didn't just become like just a, a drudgery to you know what I mean? Like just like sad. Like you're just going to read it and like just feel sad because that's not the vibe I wanted. So yeah, I don't know. I think it's it's a big part of why the story is dark, but it's definitely only one piece of the pie. I think that that like with the axes and doing the math of like the levity yeah. and the whatever, <laughs> I really do think that that's a part of it. You got to pull one lever and see, you know, how that balances it out, and you know, whether it's seasoned with enough humor to your taste or whatever, right? I always think about things that like questions about like, you know, oh, you can like you see the memes like, oh, you can open one of these doors and go to the magical world. And and it's always like there's the Hobbit door and that's fine. But there's doors that lead to like Westeros or the Hunger Games. And I'm like, I don't want to open those doors. (laughs) Like those doors do not seem like a good time. Whereas like Middle Earth, like, yeah, some bad things happen there, but it's actually a pretty brief period of time. And the world itself doesn't seem to entrench that dark, like the world is fighting against that darkness, yes. not entrenching that darkness, and and so I I think about it on sort of that scale. Like, would would you want to just like be a traveler? Would you want to be a tourist in this world? <laughs> I love that as like might the be scale. a way of gauging yeah. the like light yeah. to dark. Like, hmm, would would you be safe? Would you be okay? <laughs> How would long be would you survive? For Less than twenty four hours? Yeah. Could you make it a month? Like, where <laughs> where are we at? <laughs> Are there places in the world that you could go and be safe right. or is like literally the entire world crap sack? <laughs> yeah. Like. And I think too, the element of who are you seeing this world through? Like whose yes. eyes are you seeing it through? I think on a couple levels, because on one, like I was th- when you said that, I was like, you know, there's probably some nice county, some out in Westeros somewhere that's quite pleasant and that no one's really worrying about. And as long as there's a major war going on at the time, it's probably fine. But we mostly see Westeros through the eyes of assholes. Yes. Really. I mean, yeah. 
No, we totally do. <laughs> oh, valid. Or at least like asshole adjacent. Or asshole adjacent people. Like, well, people like, that are I in work service you to or assholes. Your kid. Yep. Right. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's 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 like wow. I wonder I wonder what normal people would experience right? Westeros as. There's a nice <laughs> little farm out in the reach that's just nice. like I hear there's a war going on. <laughs> right. and, uh, I mean our our taxes got a little higher this year, but I'm fine. Right. Yeah, but we're fine. all right. We're like 500 miles from anything, Whatever. so. Or like go go back a few years, go ahead a few years, not in the midst of turmoil, you know, because we always set the story in the middle right? of the turmoil yes. time. But what is yeah. it like the rest of the time? Well, and you can even think about like our own world, like the the flavor of the 1990s versus today, right? Like it doesn't mean that bad things didn't happen in the 90s. Or that good things don't happen today. Yeah. But just viewed from a large angle lens, like the 90s seem like a brighter, shinier, <laughs> more yeah. optimistic time. <laughs> the 2020s. Then just this like, hellscape. Do not. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, just imagine someone getting sold on like the Earth cruise and then like they get dropped in like 1942. They're like, what the? <laughs> like the brochure was from the jazz exactly. age exactly yeah. they got the 1922 brochure <laughs> and they get dropped like what is this this crap everyone's on rations i, I was not told about right? rations like, wait a second where's all the decadence <laughs> yeah. can't import anything this is lame i don't like it and then also the angle of the exact same world and even like one slice of time moment depending on how someone fits into that world like if you look at like your average like like i don't know i was thinking like victorian era right like it can range like over the top beautifully opulent to like poverty stricken bleak wallowing in mud kind of like vibes and and that can go from you know very light fluffy you know whatever to pretty darn dark and it's all the exact same place same time but it just depends on who's experiencing it just different perspectives. Well, that's that when I first conceptualized Among Thieves, I was writing it. It was a nano project, uh, and it was my first attempt at pantsing. It went very badly. Uh, <laughs> 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 it was terrible. I was like, whoa, I'm a plotter. Um, but yeah, so I, I got far into it. But I think part of the reason why it didn't work was because that perspective was off. So uh, the story of Among Thieves is told from a group of like rogues and brigands that are just like devil may care. They're terrible people, but they're funny about it. And they are kind of like, you know, separate from from the, the real shit that's going down. But they're just kind of inserting themselves <laughs> where possibly they don't belong. Right. Um, or the, the project originally was a very dark tale from the perspective of one of the magical children on the island that is being brainwashed. Which I do think that that was like some some good stuff for me to get down world building wise, right? It let me really dig into like what happens on that island. So I know even though it's not front and center on the pages of the story, but it was just too dark, right? It was like just too doom and gloom all the time. And it was like just a, it was depressing to write. I would imagine it would be depressing to read. And it was just I petered out after the 50,000 words and was like never again um but yeah same world same time frame same basic things are happening on the large scale but just literally shifting that perspective changed the whole vibe i think it's a really good point though about like how much of it is determined by the kind of story that the storyteller wants to be a part of for as long as you have to be (laughs) to to write something book length like might be different if you're dealing with like short stories or something but to write a novel, you have to be willing to spend time in that yes. darkness or lightness. Like, can you sustain the fluff for that long? I don't think I ever could. Like, I'm not likely to ever write a cozy fantasy because I'm going to start trying and then, oops, I added politics and everything's terrible. <laughs> right. Oh, no, someone got stabbed. Right. Oh, oh, that wasn't supposed to happen. <laughs> but but just tonally, like, what is the author wanting to yes. do? Like, what kind of story are you wanting to tell? The thought that just occurred to me was um, Shaun of the Dead. Oh, my God. Which is a zombie <laughs> movie. And a comedy. Yep. And, like, terrible things happen in it. Like, dude's mom gets zombified oh, yeah. and has to be killed. Like, and basically terrible, everyone dies. Funny, yeah. But it's hilarious. Yeah. But it's such a funny movie. And it's it's just the tonal shift that, that allows for that. And, and that, in turn, reminds me of one of the best classes I took in college, which was um, called Comedy, Tragedy, and Religion. And we, we spent so much time focusing on looking at, like, comic viewpoints and tragic viewpoints, which maps not directly, but I think it's there's a correlation there with the levers on, like, light and dark worlds. And in a comedic world, violence and, and terrible things happening, 
they might happen, but you bounce back from them faster. Like the the impact is less. Yeah. The, the, there's less duration to terrible things happening. Whereas when things are darker and more tragic, the impact lasts longer. And, and you can even take it down to cartoons. Like, why do we laugh when Wiley e. Coyote gets hit with an anvil? Yeah. Because he gets right back up again. Right. So he's fine. So we're not worried about it. We're not worried about Wiley e. Coyote. Most of us. I actually think I probably was as a child. Because I... <laughs> yeah, I, I actually never enjoyed Warner Brothers cartoons because I was, I was upset. About... It's like, but are they okay? Like, are they going to be okay? But broadly speaking, right? Like, if, if the impact so is, <laughs> it can be a huge impact. But if it doesn't, if there's no duration to it, if he pops right back up and, you know, he gets flattened to be two-dimensional and then he just reinflates, like, it's fine. Yeah. It's fine. That's That's not, is it kind of dark? Yes, but it's not emotionally it's it's plot wise dark but not emotionally dark i don't know there's different yeah, well the when it just goes back like, right away uh honestly like to to give an example that might be controversial in my mind it's why i think that the end of um infinity war did not land for me mm. because everyone who should have been grieving the characters that died then turned to dust so it robs you of the emotional resonance right so it makes it, oh, it's not even dark. I mean, it, it, it was, you know, I get it. But you know what I mean? It's a, it takes away that moment where you sink and you sit in the grief, right? So like, yeah, the, the cartoon, he pops back up. Okay, well, it's not dark because he's fine. But also, like, if we don't get to, like, sit in our feeling and, like, you know what I mean? And fully take in yeah. what yeah. happened. So oh, I do. As and, mm-hmm. and being consistent. And, be, and, like, the, as I, and, and the, cons- the consistency with it, too. Because you train your audience what the impact should be, right? We are trained that Wiley E. Coyote is fine. Yeah. The first few times we watch it. So we expect that every time. Yeah. But most most movies and books, and I think Infinity War would be an example, that that's not the training. That's not what we've been trained for. It, they, they, we aren't, there's not a reinflate moment. You're supposed to feel that impact. <laughs> yeah. Well, as, as a reader of X-Men comics... I no longer get worried when a character dies because mutant heaven has a revolving door. And that's been a joke for a very long time. But in the last several years, anyone who's been reading the Krakoa area, they actually have solved death. <laughs> like they, they've they've fixed death entirely. They can resurrect any mutant they want to at any time, basically. And there's some like provisos and whatever on it. But broadly, they've solved death. And so it's like, <laughs> mutant and, and until that changes yeah but even if it does change e- like even before that right now it means nothing <laughs> exactly because i don't trust the narrative not to just resurrect a character again yep. they're gonna do it i'm not gonna worry i might be upset and annoyed for a while that my favorite character isn't gonna be on page but like uh, give it three years they'll be back <laughs> something will happen back. they'll wander in from a parallel universe it'll be fine <laughs> i remember there was a story in the x factor from the early aughts where in one of the X-Men books, they killed Banshee, and his daughter was one of the main characters in X-Factor. And when it's like, your father just died, her whole attitude was like, oh, he'll be back. Yeah. This is how this goes. Yeah. I'm so used to this. I refuse to waste right. energy mourning, because yeah, he'll be back. He'll be back. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> it was his turn to take out the garbage. This huh? is how our world works. <laughs> I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, waste my energy right now on that. <laughs> and that that still is like a darker world but a lighter narrative right. experience when you know it's not yes. going to take right when you know that there's it's not final in the same way that it is in in different different media i think i mean the the, the comics media is i think always going to have a little bit of that because they've got these stories that they want to keep using and keep telling and keep using the same characters and it's like well give it a while they'll reboot there'll be something else <laughs> jason dot will be back bucky will be back I mean, to think for decades, the idea of like, everybody gets resurrected except Uncle Ben and Bucky. But like, no, we, we resurrected Bucky. And then. <laughs> so if you want to have a more fun story, but in a darker or bleak word, world, what are some of the factors that you have to think about? And I think might actually be useful too for just even thinking about, even if you don't want a fun story, if you just don't want it to be so completely like, uh, yeah. dark bleak slog like you know i think this works for anybody even if you aren't writing a fun story like what are the factors that you have to think about and consider yeah i mean some of the ones i was thinking of so uh characters that don't care like not that they don't care but like 
The, it's like the blase thing, right? In the opening sequence of of Among Thieves, like my main character cuts off a finger of someone and then just goes and delivers it to someone, and he's like, "Oh, great!" And I think uh, the, the phrase I put is he like puts it down like it's a biscuit, right? Because it's just like they just like it's they don't care, and I feel like it makes it it's the same thing where it does it takes the resonance away from the horror <laughs> of what just happened because the characters don't feel horrified, so the reader then I feel like by extension feels a little less horrified. Uh, for better or for worse, maybe. And then, like, I feel like, too, I mean, humor for sure, um, you know, just adding adding humor. Like, think of, like, the Black Tongue Thief, if you guys have read that, where it's like, it's, I mean, like, there's, like, a lot of, like, people are in a cage about to be eaten at points. I mean, like, it's it's quite dark, but it's hilarious just because Kinch Nishanik, the the narrator of the story, like, just his internal voice is just so, like, hilarious and he has like this these little observations about the world that make it funny um and i feel like really balance that out that's absolutely true and like that's there's an element of that that's narrative voice too which is kind of yeah another offshoot of that what's the narrative voice like yeah and having characters who are trying to keep things light regardless of how dark and terrible their life might be and that that can go a long way in terms of setting that tone well, it goes back to what Cass said, too, right? If the characters are ultimately good people striving for good, right? It's kind of the opposite, right? So, like, uh, it, I was able to lighten Among Thieves by making my characters re- just really terrible people, <laughs> uh, but in, in hopefully a funny way. But on the flip side, like, you know, in Tolkien's works, like, it's a pretty dark world. Terrible stuff happens, but we know that we've got our Samwise Gamgee, right? And he is going <laughs> to be that pure heart that's going to carry us through. And that just, it... it it does make it lighter because you have you feel hope because the characters have hope. I feel like that's an element too. Any world that can turn out a Samwise Gamgee can't be can't be, right? can't be that can't bad. Be right? that bad. Like, <laughs> can't be that bad. I feel like too the stakes can be something to play with. Like if you have a god awful dark world, and you have a character who is trying to redeem that world somehow like that is an uphill slog like that can be there's such a thing as too big of stakes sometimes i think depending on on the darkness of the world um and the like length of slog you're willing to go through but when you have a story that's focusing on some little corner of it or someone just wants this one thing for themselves or their family i think that it can be easier to play with a dark bleak world when someone has just like this one thing that you know it might seem like it's a small stakes but it's big stakes for that individual character um so maybe it's you know they want to win a cooking competition in the you know dungeony awful castle of the evil dark lord but they have they have the best they have the best knife skills of any of the you know dungeony captives it it doesn't matter like you know that the the world still sucks but they have their thing that they're going to go for yeah well i feel like even kings of the wild right nick eames um right where it's uh we're not trying to fix everything. We just want to save Golden Gabe's daughter, right? That's what we're looking to do. We are on a very specific mission through the the wilds and all of this terrible stuff that's happening. Um, and that is, to me, a very light, fun story set in a world that I wouldn't want to travel to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's something, too. Like, does the individual character find... A victory of some kind, even if it's not something that's going to change the world. But on their individual path, is there victory they can claim? Is there something that lightens their load, pays off their their investment and their effort? Then it's going to feel like a lighter story, even if it's a darker world. And I think there's also something about how the world either reinforces or takes away those victories like if your little if your little cook with the great knife skills then gets his hands chopped off because he did something wrong like that's bad that's dark <laughs> that's, uh, that's the world that's the world reinforcing the darkness as opposed to something that would allow it to stay lighter and, and thinking of game of thrones again i think this is part of the story of ned stark in the first book in a slightly different world he would be rewarded for his actions. Right. It would work, right? Like he would call Cersei on her bullshit and it would work and he would be validated and maybe other terrible things would still happen, but like he'd be okay. Instead, the world reinforces the darkness, yeah. does not reward his valor and his integrity at all. 
in fact, chops his head off for it. And I think, you know, tw- fuck, 25 years ago now that, that the, the first book came out, that was more shocking. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. over the last 25 years, we almost expect it now. Like, I find myself reading some books that have a lighter tone these days, and I don't trust it at first. <laughs> so true, right? I'm like, I'm bracing. Like, I'm waiting. Oh, I'm God. waiting for the terrible thing to happen. When's the other shoe going to yeah. drop? You would be reading The Great Dungeon Bake Off. Exactly. Like, waiting for him to win and then be like... Is the oven going to explode and kill them all? Like, what's going to happen? <laughs> I don't trust it when good things happen. And then I realize that afterwards, and I feel sad for myself. <laughs> That I've become so inured to goodness (laughs) that I just expect the bad things. But I think that's a trend. That's that's a a, a fictional genre trend that has taught us to expect different things than perhaps we would have expected 30 years ago when, when, you know, the the Lord of the Rings tone was still more dominant. Yeah, Yeah, I I think it is an element of, yeah, training the audience. What is the audience trained to expect? And, And if you are going to go down one of those paths or the other... Like kind of, I think being aware in your own writing of what training your audience may be coming in with and how you can like retrain them and what to expect. Low stakes things, showing what the outcomes of those low stakes things are, showing how people around your protagonist are um, rewarded or punished for, for what they end up doing kind of by the world, by the rules of the narrative world that you're creating, you know, does what happens to these people what can what can the reader learn to expect because i think even though it it was a plot moment in game of thrones when ned stark gets his head chopped off it's also not completely out of left field if you've been reading along and have seen no, how the world not is at all. working right no. right like it's not it's a plot the, the world a, expectation and the narrative expectation are different things yeah yeah, yeah. and it's it's you know it's yeah are are you are you writing to a plot twist? Even if so, you're still, it's still consistent within the world. A reader looks back and says like, oh, okay, now I, I see how that fits within, within the world yeah. that's created here. Yeah. Of course that little asshole Joffrey does this. Yeah. Like, of course. Like, it's just <laughs> always an asshole. <laughs> makes perfect sense. And, and everyone around that little asshole is not doing anything to stop yes. that happening because that's right. the yeah. structure. Because they're the, the people that raised him to be such an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> But on the flip side, something like um, Legends and Lattes, which is sort of the the current cozy fantasy touchstone. In that book, there are things that that could go dark fast. Like there's the the sort of nefarious criminal underworld element that like the the, the protection racket and stuff that gets exerted. And in a darker world, those things win. But in the world of this cozy fantasy, the characters are able to find a way to mitigate those threats and go on happily with their lives making cafe lattes like yeah that's great good for them good for them but it's so just about like the narrative choice of what the world is willing to allow so i know that in your work you use a lot of humor how are ways that you you work humor into your narrative and even the world itself like how how does that how does that work for you what's your what's your process yeah, so I feel like most of the humor in in my projects comes from a couple things. Um, first of all, is just characters who <laughs> like suck at processing their emotions, and so they just joke about things <laughs> they probably shouldn't joke about. <laughs> Such a great tool. Uh, I, I'm a big advocate of this tool. Honestly, <laughs> right? Highly related. It's like that's not taken from my real life at all. I don't know. Wow. <laughs> Sarcasm instead of actually emotionally processing trauma. Instead of handling what's happening. Never. Yeah. Nobody writes a novel about a fantasy therapist for a reason. (laughs) Oh, my God. Can you imagine the fantasy therapist would explode? They would. (laughs) No one's written a book about it, but I bet someone's done a TikTok series. Like, I bet that's Oh, my God. Yeah, right? You know, it's like uh, all those ones. But I don't know if you guys uh, follow, like, the obscure Lord of the Rings facts guy. And he does all these things where it's like... uh, (laughs) He's pretending to be like helplines in Middle Earth for random things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. So good. But yeah, another another way that I like to do humor is I'll just set two very strong-willed characters opposite one another and let them bicker. 
because <laughs> I just I love writing a good argument and I don't mean like oh it's high stakes and this is we're screaming and crying and it's you know a, a friendship breakup or a divorce no, no no I'm just talking about like two people that are just kind of clever and they have to work together and they're sniping at each other and just kind of being assholes and petty I feel like that can carry <laughs> a lot of weight when it comes to humor and then in the internal monologues, too, right? So it's like every POV character has their own voice, even when it's just the prose, obviously. And um, some of my characters are funnier than others, right? So, like, Ivan is not very funny. He's one of my POV characters. Love him. He's not very funny. He just kind of, you know, takes the world in in more of a, you know, straightforward way. But, like, you know, Raya, one of the other main characters, she has some, you know, snarky comments to make about things that she makes inside her head all of the time. Um, and I feel like that does a lot of work to kind of lighten up some of the darker scenes because she's the one cutting off fingers. So she, we need to lighten up her scenes more often. <laughs> we got to balance. Got find that balance. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Those are the tricks that I've used. But I'm always looking for more tricks. That's why I love reading books that are funny, too, right? So, you know, because, like, you know, you read, like, Kings of the Wild, and I'm laughing hysterically, and I'm also crying at parts, right? And it's like, I need to study this. So, yeah, I always feel like there's <laughs> new tricks to learn. <laughs> I like how many of, of your tricks come from the interplay of the characters, that the characters are, are playing against each other or with each other in some way. And it's, it's funny, because you mentioned that one character is not very funny, but I feel like the presence of kind of, like, the straight character yeah. can be really important to, like, engendering humor. Like... I don't know. I, we watch old movies. My kids like like funny old movies, and um, we were watching a Marx Brothers movie, and the there's an older woman who was an actress in a lot of these movies, Margaret Dumont, and she's always this like the straight man character, and apparently she never understood the jokes. Like she is not kidding. She's not acting. She doesn't think it's funny. She's just genuinely she not amused. Anyone else thinks it's funny, <laughs> and it's hilarious because you couldn't have faked it. Like, and I think that that can be so funny too when you have like. Everyone else is seeing the humor in this scene, and someone's just like, I don't... I don't, I don't even know why you cast me right. in this movie. I don't... Under- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't I don't even know what's going on. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> but I feel like in fantasy, that can be even, like, another, like, layer of funny, of, like, you know... Like, what what magical bullshit is this? I don't even understand what's happening. Like, yeah. this is... What the hell? <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking again about that, my, that class I mentioned from my college, because... The professor is an expert in in humor and in comedy and things like that. And I'm trying to remember exactly how he broke it down, like the different kinds of humor there or like where humor can come from. And I remember that at least one of them is like surprise, like something surprising to you can be inherently funny um, or something that is incongruous to the situation. And I think that is a lot of where humor can sometimes come in to the writing style of of any book really but of fantasy books and i'm thinking both about like terry pratchett or um douglas adams and just the way they use words can be surprising and incongruous enough in itself to lend a humorous tone even if they're describing something serious you know it it hung in the air much the same way that bricks don't (laughs) i literally was just gonna say that (laughs) right like classic example of surprising use of language i think and terry pratchett does this all the time um but also that wryness the the ability to comment on what's happening with sort of a a slight remove from the situation whether it's within the point of view of a character having that remove or the narrative voice having that remove i think is also where a lot of humor can come in where you can sort of point out like this is objectively ridiculous (laughs) (laughs) and it can be a character thinking i don't know how i got into this damn situation like this is insane what is going on here or it can be the outside sort of voice saying like what these characters are doing is objectively ridiculous but we're going with them on this ride anyway that slight remove i think is, is a lot of what can sell humor within genre fiction it's interesting because I feel like that that choice of what is your narrative voice going to be at like the most like fundamental level of like, am I in a first person or am I in a close third or a slightly more removed third? Like, I don't think that we usually consider the question of how will I be delivering humor when making those choices. But I think that it sometimes comes later in the drafting process when you realize like, oh, in order to have the tone that I want to have here to keep this from being either you know, too bleak or too fluffy and silly. Like I need to hit that point just right. You know, I need to hit that, that closeness or that distance in order to be able to convey the tone that I want. 
someone's been screwing up for a while and going back and rewriting something. <laughs> right? Start in first person because it's just not going to work. Over you know? and over again. <laughs> Sometimes you just have to take that piece of work and shatter its spine and rebuild it from the ground up. Right? Every once in a while. Multiple times. Multiple times. <laughs> Sometimes, yeah. No, that is a great point, though. And I'm now trying to think of any first-person narratives that have a really strong humorous narrative voice in in the fantasy realm and i'm sure there are some that exist just none are leaping to my mind because when the events are so immediate it's sort of inherently less funny you'd have to have a really strong humorous voice to sort of overcome that i think yeah i just had to google it to make sure black tongue thief is actually in first person and, but yeah, so check it out if you haven't yet. But it, it it is hard to strike that balance, and that's the only time I think I've seen it, where he's just like, "Oh, we're gonna get eaten." Well, fuck me, like <laughs> <laughs> that's great. <laughs> I think about things too, like the the most recent Dungeons and Dragons movie. I thought did a really great job of striking that balance between humor and heart. Like it it was not without serious things. It was not without emotion, but it was a really funny movie. <laughs> And I think it's because a lot of those characters ap- approach the situations they were in with kind of that attitude of like, ah, fuck this again. <laughs> like, <laughs> all, right. all right, fine. Like the scene where they're they're raising corpses from a battlefield to try to ask them questions. <laughs> I don't know if you all have seen this movie. <laughs> I raising yet. corpses. I need, to. I need to. Necromancy. Necromancy. Inherently pretty dark. But the scene is hilarious. <laughs> because like... <laughs> They get three, like the magic works that they get three questions to each corpse that they resurrect. But they don't actually have three questions for each corpse. They really only have one question that they need an answer to. <laughs> so the corpses are all like, wait, no, you got to ask two more so that I can go back to sleep. Right? They're just peppering them with like, random questions. Um, all right. What's your favorite book? <laughs> oh, that's just. And then you get a bibliophile corpse and they're like, oh, I don't know. I have to think about it. <laughs> Right. Exactly the fuck what happens. It's exactly the fuck what happens. Um, and it's great. It's so funny. And it's like necromancy, not inherently funny, but they made it funny through this like condition of the magic and the way they approached it, and and it it turned it into humor. And and the whole movie is kind of like that. The whole movie has these moments that's like, objectively, this could be really really dark, but you lightened it. You made it funny. But without removing like all emotional content, which is that's that's skillful. That's that's a skill that I admire. Do you feel like sometimes too one of the the levers you can pull for darkness versus lightness and emotional content is like what relationship do characters have to each other? And a lot of humor can come out of that too. But I think that a lot of balance can happen there too because, you know, what stakes exist for a character personally might have a lot to do with relationships. Might have a lot to do with who they surround themselves with. Like, do you find that you you lean into relationships when writing, whether they're they're platonic or family or anything? They don't have to be purely romantic. I one one of the levers that you can pull. It's only romance. one. I know it's like the it's the one a lot of people pull. I I every story I've ever written, which like I know I only have one out, but like you guys know the game. I've written like a million <laughs> that didn't make it yet. Um, <laughs> and it, they always have some kind of found family. Like it's just like that is the trope that is like the trope of my heart. And maybe the found family is like the one in Among Thieves where it is more toxic than like, you know, your actual family at Thanksgiving. But maybe it's a wholesome found family, right? But yeah, those are those are kind of uh, the the meat of what I like to do a lot because I think it's it's a fun way to pull together a group of misfits right a group of people who come from disparate areas disparate backgrounds different situations but maybe they're all scrappy or maybe they're all you know kind of down on their luck or, or whatever the case might be I will say romantic relationships are actually the hardest for me to write there is like one like romantic scene in my sequel, I'm like, I had to rewrite that like 75 <laughs> times because like I just like I just like I don't have like a romantic bone in my body. Like I just like I'm kind of infamous for like ruining moments in my real life <laughs> just because I like, can't take it seriously. Like I just get awkward. Uh, <laughs> and so, yeah, writing it. Yeah. So I don't love writing the romance personally. Nothing. I, I don't mind reading it, but I don't I, mm, writing it is not for me. <laughs> it is hard, though, because I feel like of all the kinds of relationships that we write, 
Okay, now I'm going to take that back because I actually think that parent-child relationships are worse for this. Um, but I think that romantic relationships are the least realistic in fiction because we want them to be unrealistic in fiction frequently. Yeah. Because if, yeah, because if they were realistic, they would be, like, getting ruined by, like, awkward, like, random stuff, you yeah. know, like... Or they would just remind you how much everyone in this story needs therapy right, all the time. And sometimes right. that's not the story <laughs> you're trying, story to, you're trying tell. to tell. And right. like I said, I think I think the only one that is probably more unrealistic most of the time is familiar like the familial parent child relationship because no one actually wants to read a realistic one because like you don't actually want to read it's someone debating, complicated debating and messy. with their toddler. Yeah. No one wants to actually read that. You either live <laughs> it and you don't want to read it or you don't live it and you don't want to read it so but why yeah, I think... <laughs> but why <laughs> but why marshall but why 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 don't you want to read it but why <laughs> why how does that work but yeah like and I, there is an element of how realistic our relationships versus you know how much are you leaning on them for narrative reasons or even like to add some levity or lightness to a situation get them something else to care about aside from their bleak horrible world right well and i think also like in a sci-fi fantasy world you can write something that is bleak but horribly romantic because it's easy to yada yada over the hard parts like you can have rory williams (laughs) watching over the pandorica for two thousand years and because you just jump ahead two thousand years to when he's done and you know the fact that he the actual day-to-day labor of that like eh, you know but boy that's super romantic because you know rory's gonna watch over her all this time but at the same time it's easier because we can skip the the hard boring parts don't have to read the tedium part of <laughs> right day five thousand seven hundred forty three <laughs> right. oh god maybe just today job. i made some easy mac in the microwave <laughs> <laughs> although done as like a sequence that can be emotionally powerful. I'm thinking about um, two of my like just all-time favorite episodes of television. Famously, The Inner Light in Star Trek Next Generation, which is very much Picard living an everyday life on this planet. And and you don't you don't see all of it obviously, but you see enough of it, enough of those calm moments to establish those relationships. And then there's an episode in The Magicians, and I can't remember the name of the episode, but it's it's the one where um, Quentin and Elliot sort life of get in trapped a in a similar sort oh of thing. Oh, my God. I've, there it is. There it I is. Watched that oh, sequence my God, that episode. So many times. Rip my heart out. And you don't have to see every moment of the tedium, but when it's presented in this sort of montage fashion with some emotionally manipulative music, oh, <laughs> you know, yeah. the scoring can make a big difference there. You know, and all of a sudden it packs this immense emotional punch and it's like, ah, we are really I at a disadvantage that we cannot have emotionally manipulative music. Montages? Oh, <laughs> right? Anyway, yeah, like <laughs> or montages. Yeah. The two things I, I think know, that would be that, most helpful. Two two Just constraints need a <laughs> Yeah. Just have like a little like MP3 player embedded in the book that when you open it yeah. up, <laughs> the book's no, fine. Like, just I, I had higher hopes for ebooks, to be honest. When it came to this really? kind of thing, oh yeah, yeah. there you go. When, no when you, you know hit what? the right page, you know it just though? starts to play, and like then you're like, oh fuck, I'm in, I'm in one of these parts. They do that if you do web comics when you're reading uh, on webtoon as yeah. you're scrolling. They can um, embed music. Or Star Wars novels, actually. <laughs> most of the Star Wars novels now have underscoring through most of the book. And and it's pretty amazing, awesome. honestly, that, like, it's a really high degree of audio presentation. But, like, yeah. they do. They get their they get their um, emotionally manipulative music. I think, right? They get it in. We should all get emotionally manipulative music. We should. <laughs> Goals. Goals. We all go to our editors demanding emotionally manipulative music. They're like, what the hell? What? They're no, like, get out. But literally how? <laughs> get out. And why is it coming from all these different corners now? What happened? Some stupid podcast suggested. Who suggested this? <laughs> but anyway, point being that relationships shown even in those sort of bite-sized quadrants, I think in some ways can sell the, the, the severity or the lightness of a situation. I think sibling relationships can be a lot of fun. Like, because of that high degree of familiarity that siblings are likely to have with each other, I think you can pull in both the emotional gut punch and the humor of people who just, like, even in a serious situation, are going to 
take that opportunity to snipe at each other, to say the rude thing, to say the thing that they know is going to piss the other person off. It's like, really, really, (laughs) right now? You chose right now. We're about to face down a dragon, and you wanted to remind me of that from the third grade. Right. Really? Sure did. <laughs> but I, I had to. It was a reflex. I couldn't help it. This this is why I love writing Assy and Bercy so damn much. Yeah. <laughs> because they are, I mean, cause, because I can have that fun, but then also be like, you know, I love you, right? Where we're going to go kill some people, but I love you, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good balance. Good balance, good balance. Of, of different emotional needs <laughs> being fulfilled. Siblings are fun for, like, situational humor, too, because, like, they're frequently very different people, but are, like, forced into this weird, like, long-term proximity where they have lots of shared relationships and shared knowledge, yeah. and so you can you can do, like, fun kind of situational stuff with them because because you can, and they might not like they're it. they're in all kinds of situations. They might not yeah. like it at the time, <laughs> but, but it's funny for everyone else. I will also say I love the trope of a a lower status character being allowed to just like take the mickey out of a higher status character and this is a trope that goes back to fucking you know plautus it goes back to roman comedy (laughs) and shakespeare did it all the time the comic servant who gets away with shit once again it's about that license that the world allows this character to have to say the true things that the trope of the fool right like you're allowed to say the true things but you say it in a funny way and you don't get beaten for saying it the world lets you say it and therefore, you can punch up because that's true humor, right? True humor is always yes. going to be punching up, not punching down. So I love that dynamic. And I love when you see that between two characters who are, like, closely bonded. Like, the CEO and the secretary or, you know, Julius Caesar and Posca in Rome. Like, I love those things where the lower status character is about to be like, you're being a fucking idiot right now. You know that, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> this whole war thing you're doing? Bad idea. Bad idea. I mean, I'm taking your notes. I'm putting, I'm putting the request through for the tanks. But, uh... Did you think this through? Did you think this through? I love that character. I, that's a trope I just adore. I will always, I will always love that character. It is a great one. Yeah. Because they also get to be the voice of the audience. I think that's another another view towards humor and lightness and that that wryness, that outside voice. Are they speaking for the reader? Are they saying the things the reader is thinking, but can't say to the character? And then you see a character say it, and you're like, oh, I feel validated. <laughs> I think that's a lot of fun. So as we come to the end of our episode, we have a little tradition on the podcast where we invite our guests um, to contribute a little something um, to the world that we are co-building um, on air together. So a, a little a little parting gift, a little bit of trivia that we can fit into some corner of our world to remember you by. So I think that there should be a portion of the world or maybe the entire world, but the rulers are selected based on who wins a series of drinking games. <laughs> oh God, I love it. Oh. Like beer Olympics for King. <laughs> oh, I like so it. great though. Like rather than jousting or whatever, it's like, you must play beer pong for this. Yes. Exactly. That's I'm like literally must... picturing like a bunch of nobles playing flip cup, like <laughs> winning. Fuck the dealer. It's like, yeah great like oh the cards do not favor you but are you strong enough to withstand it anyway then (laughs) beautiful then you're strong enough to lead this kingdom (laughs) they have a god like of the liver like rather than the the heart or the brain being the most important organ in the human body the liver like yes he is strong of liver you have a dionysus type god who's just like you know that's it's like no i don't care if your wives are strong i care if you can hold your booze (laughs) It's about endurance. <laughs> Leadership is about endurance. Sure. I could I could build a whole ethos and, off of this, and it would sound see and, halfway and sensible. And Perfect tox- toxicity in toxic situations. So nothing more toxic than politics. So yeah. I say maybe this is how we should all be selecting leaders. You know, is I'm, what I'm getting around. It, you to. know, it, I'm not against it. Can't it. work any worse than what I've got going now. <laughs> I was going to say. It's up there with strange women lying in ponds distributing swords that, like, we should give it a try. I mean, tried everything else, so why not? Oh, yes. Well, thank you Glorious. so much for coming on and for joining us and for um, giving us a little bit of levity in our world building. Yes, thank you guys so much for having me. This has been so much fun chatting with you guys about all things world building and humor. And it's, it's just been a great time. <laughs> Thank you.
Hi you! Thanks for listening to this episode of World Building for Masochists and letting us help you overcomplicate your writing life. Our next episode, writer and professional stuntwoman S.L. Huang will join us to talk about weapons and fighting styles in fantasy worlds. If you want to know more about your hosts and the fantastical books we write, including Rowena's latest, The Fairy Bargains of Prospect Hill, Cass's Oven Cycle, or everything with my Meridane saga, links to all of that information is on our website at worldbuildingformasochist.podbeam.com. We'd also like to remind you that we are currently running a Kickstarter for our anthology, Traveling Light, set in the world that we've been building on air. We're extremely excited about this project and would love your help in making it a reality. Links and more information can be found at our website. We really hope you liked this episode. If you did, please do take a minute to tell a friend, shout about us on the internet, or leave a review on iTunes. If you've got questions or just want to tell us how cute we are, there's a number of ways to contact us. We're on Twitter as at WorldBuildCast, and our email is WorldBuildCast at gmail.com. We also have a Discord chat room linked in the About the Show page of our website if you want to come chat with us and other fans of the podcast. We'd love for you to share the worlds you're making and help us all build until it hurts. Until it hurts.